0: The Business Station. I'm Noel Lim on Spotlight. This morning, we assess the impact of the US China trade war on Malaysia and whether it's fair to compare with Vietnam, which has become a major trade beneficiary. Also, what does Malaysia need to do to up its game in the long term? We turn to Kelvin Ching, researcher at the Economics, Trade and Regional Integration Division of the Institute of Strategic and International Studies, or ISIS, in Malaysia, for his views. Welcome to the show. So, what can we expect in the US China trade conflict in the short term?
1: The U.S. tariffs on Chinese goods, as it stands, um, is already at a level we've never seen for about four decades. We've had three rounds of U.S. tariffs in 2018 amid allegations of China's unfair trade practices related to intellectual property. The U.S. imposed a fourth round of U.S. tariffs on Chinese goods for an additional fifth round. In my view, I think the prospects of uh, both sides agreeing to a comprehensive uh, U.S.-China trade deal in the near term remains somewhat cloudy. You know, we've had some initial optimism uh, in early this year and late last year. And of course, the trade negotiations are, of course, still ongoing. And recently, there's been a talk of a mini deal or an interim light version of a trade deal. And I think there's a good chance that that's where we're heading, right? Another temporary truce uh, with no comprehensive trade deal.
0: The US economy seems to have grown steadily, yet Malaysia's exports to the US have declined by close to 5% in the first half of 2019, compared to a growth of 5% last year. Some of Malaysia's neighbours, on the other hand, have reported higher growth. What's going on in Malaysia?
1: A trade war can have both direct and indirect effects on um, the global economy and certainly the Malaysian economy as well. There's two opposing effects, right? So one is the the global effect, right? The lower global trade flows from um, the US-China trade conflict. And uh, what's important is the uncertainty channel. You know, uh, as global supply chains are disrupted, there's increased policy uncertainty, increased uh, market volatility... I think that web also weighs in heavily on um, Malaysian exports as well.
0: So what have been the gainers and losers in Malaysia?
1: Our analysis suggests that overall, despite the potential for trade diversion, um, the US census data set we analysed uh, indicates that the reality has been more mixed, more nuanced. And we find that so far, despite the gains in certain specific product lines, uh, overall trade diversion from shifts in US import demand have been um, somewhat minimal for Malaysia. Uh, especially when, when, like you said, when we compare to some of our regional peers. Interestingly, we found that there's a large degree of diversity uh, even within the same product class. So, for example, uh, take semiconductors, right? Uh, one kind of semiconductor can be, can see one of the largest gains in terms of exports to the U.S., but you take a similar semiconductor um, that's just slightly different, and that, that, can have, that can be the largest decliner of uh, exports to the U.S. What we see have, has gained is... Um, photosensitive semiconductor devices, right? So these are diodes and uh, used in in consumer electronic devices, such as CD players or remote controls. And uh, other things is uh, memory parts or RAM, right, for computers, and uh, printed circuit assemblies. So these are sort of the green chips you see in the the computer chips. And other things uh, include medical and non-medical rubber gloves, right? So these are top gainers. And um, in terms of, you mentioned about losers, right? some of the the top declines in and in, in exports to the US have been um, parts of printers printer parts right printer parts printer accessories, automatic data processing disk drives so um, there's certainly a lot of uh, similarities between the, the gainers and losers in that they are both uh, a lot of it is electrical and electronic components
0: are these changes mainly due to the trade war? Uh,
1: there's, there's certainly some uh, some other forces in this in that. A lot of these electrical and electronic components are affected by the um, global electronics demand, right? And that is currently quite soft at the moment.
0: So it's not that we are losing any ground to, say, Vietnam.
1: I would caution against direct comparisons to Vietnam in the sense that uh, if we look at what sorts of products Vietnam has has gained, it's different than um, what, what we have gained. Because one thing to note is that US imports from Vietnam have been on an upward trajectory for a long time now, right? So even long before Trump became president, um, U.S. imports from Vietnam have been growing about um, 15, upwards of 15% a year each year. And um, similarly, other useful things to remember is that unlike us, Vietnam has a trade agreement with the U.S., um, the Vietnam-U.S. bilateral trade agreement, and also that Vietnam exports a higher proportion of uh, simple consumer goods. uh, Potentially, and this is potentially easier to divert or easier to substitute. There's no need to wait for supply chains to shift that even more than Vietnam, um, Taiwan appears to be um, one of the biggest beneficiaries from U.S. import demand diversions um, with large gains uh, of exports to the U.S. In each tariff list, we, we are considered, right? So list one, list two, and list three tariffs. So I think everyone mentions Vietnam as sort of a, a knee-jerk reaction, but there's actually more going on under the hood in terms of how this global supply chains are being uh, rerouted. A lot of uh, the, the, the products that, that, like I mentioned earlier, the top five, uh, decliners in terms of Malaysian exports to the US. A lot of this are being rerouted into uh, third countries, right? So recently we've, we've seen Malaysia exports to Taiwan increase. So I think, um, and in my view, this is, this is pointing towards how the global supply chains are being rerouted. So Malaysian exports to Taiwan has increased and Taiwanese exports to US increased by a lot. So in, in that sense, I think that, that gives us an early indi- indication about how these um, supply chains are being being shifted
0: Vietnam is on the radar of foreign direct investors now does it make sense for Malaysia to compete for the same investors
1: I would tend to be cautious about direct comparisons between Malaysia and Vietnam considering the level of development between Malaysia and Vietnam is still very large and there are uh, structural issues that uh, and fundamental reasons why Vietnam has been one of the favorite uh, investment destinations as of late and one the level of development right they're still growing. Uh, quite rapidly, and there's still a lot of catch-up growth to do before um, they reach the frontiers of a developing economy. And secondly, Vietnam is just a much larger market in general, a very large country in general, and they, they're seen as the going to be the next big thing, right? So I think that, that, is, that part is fundamental, that part is structural, right? And there's no way Malaysia can sort of match that.
0: Yes, they also have a large population in rural farming areas which can provide seasonal workers to factories that need to ramp up uh, in certain periods like before Christmas. So Malaysia does not have that kind of base.
1: Vietnam does have a much larger population, and a much larger labour force and uh, as of now, still a much cheaper labour force than Malaysia in that sense.
0: Malaysia's exports to China have increased by 9% in the first half of this year, albeit at a lower rate than last year, which was uh, 16%. Should this be a cause of concern for Malaysia as we go into 2020?
1: If China slows down, that, that would be a, a huge concern for us. Um, China is a huge trade, investment and um, tourism partner for Malaysia. But as to whether or not they will slow down, that's a, that's a different different story altogether considering the level of um, commitment that the Chinese government has in implementing a lot of uh, economic stimulus and monetary stimulus. In my view, um, there are two opposing effects. So the first is a negative effect in the, that um, a third of Malaysia's exports to China are immediate, uh, intermediate uh, component exports, and this may see declines as um, the supply chain from China to the US gets rerouted out of China. And the other, the other side is the, the positive side, right? The positive diversion effect as China seeks to import from sources outside of the US. And um, if, we, if we look at what these goods are, and uh, the data so far on the Malaysian exports to China that I've looked at, uh, suggests that there seems to be a few broad categories that have seen gains. One of the top gainers uh, is actually wood pulp, um, and that's used to make paper or paper-related stuff. And then, of course, other things are like iron and steel-related products and lead-related products.
0: Okay, so some bright spots there, and as you mentioned, a lot of exports from Malaysia are being rerouted to Taiwan instead of China for final assembly. On Spotlight today, we are speaking with Kelvin Cheng, researcher at the Institute of Strategic and International Studies, or ISIS, in Malaysia. After this, we'll discuss the reforms that Malaysia needs to undertake to insulate its economy. On Spotlight today, we're looking into the US-China trade war and its implications. We're speaking with Kelvin Cheng, researcher at the Institute of Strategic and International Studies or ISIS in Malaysia. The trade war and slower global economic growth bring up this narrative again about Malaysia, not low cost like uh, Vietnam and not high end enough. But if you look at developed markets like Singapore, they are also struggling now. Nevertheless, I believe we still need to progress. So in your view, what reforms are most urgently needed?
1: I think it's always interesting to relate this trade policy back towards um, economic growth, and economic development, right? And I think there's uh, two aspects to think about here. One is more uh, short-term actions, right, related towards um, more increasing labour standards, incentivizing less low-wage foreign labour. And then there's uh, longer-term policies to consider. How do we gradually foster uh, industrial upgrading and labour productivity improvements? In terms of human capital development, I, in my view, I think this goes beyond... Education. This requires education reforms, sure, but maybe even more important is the need for um, social assistance and social policy to decrease the level of inequality of opportunity and increase the access to infrastructure. So, one thing that's maybe not being given enough attention at the moment is um, details of the of the unemployment insurance system or scheme (EIS). Uh, active labor market policy component is yet to be fully described, but. Um, a coordinated national uh, commitment to continuously upskill the workforce and especially against the forces of technological change should be a key uh, priority in Malaysia's labour market policy.
0: You say that the Employment Insurance System or EIS active labour policy has yet to be fully described. Could you elaborate?
1: Well, um, in terms of the EIS, the, the active labour market policy component uh, is, is very, very important and uh, one potential model for Malaysia's um, active labour market policy should be um, something like Singapore's Skills Future Program, so which is a coordinated national initiative which provides a retraining and upscaling, um, as well as career development promotion to every. Okay, this is and I quote every Singaporean in every job at every stage of life. So, um, increasing human capital accumulation of Malaysians throughout all stages of life and upskilling the labour force will definitely support Malaysia's efforts to raise um, labour productivity to uh, develop nation levels.
0: Okay, so the EIS could model after Singapore's Skills Future Programme on retraining unemployed people, as uh, Malaysia's HRDF or Human Resource Development Fund only covers people who are still employed. Another area I'm quite concerned about is unemployed graduates and that there are not enough high-skilled jobs for them.
1: Basically a question of how... Malaysian um, industry can, can continue to upgrade, right? So industrial upgrading is, 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 the, is the key. And on this, I think there are a few things to, to focus on. And one of it uh, is actually R&D spending, right? So we talk about how we want to be uh, high-tech high uh, manufacturing and, and the like. But um, the truth is that Malaysia currently only spends about, I think, something like 1% of GDP on uh, research and development R&D and if you look at somewhere some other country in a high end the scale which is Korea they're spending about closer to 4.5% of gdp uh, and that's about 3 to 4 times more so i think we need more uh, public and private uh, investment and spending on on uh, increasing uh, technological capacity what about foreign direct investments the other thing is um maximizing benefits from foreign direct investment we we always just attract investments by giving increasingly more and uh, more tax breaks to corporates through you know, special free zones and the like. But um, attracting trade investment is one thing, right? So we need to channel them towards um, channeling them towards economic development and economic progress is a different thing. So uh, research has indicated that increasing the level of integration um, of FDI-created firms with the domestic economy um, can create more wide-reaching benefits. So what I'm talking about is um, improving the linkages with uh, the local supply chains, right? Um, are they sourcing locally? Are they um, employing local workers at every level of management? And are they giving enough transfer of technology and transfer of soft skills? Another thing we, can, we should look at is um, cultivating that sort of export discipline for industrial SOEs, so state-owned enterprises. So um, this is to make sure that, that, that the state-owned enterprises receiving state support or receiving um, state subsidies uh, we want to make sure that they're gradually forced to export to global markets, and gradually forced to become increasingly competitive globally.
0: And this will be like the national car, for example.
1: There's a there's a great example is is the national car, right? Traditionally, we've not been been too strict on forcing any of, of firms that receive state subsidies to continue upgrading the capacity, um, upgrading the capabilities, and we we have not been forcing them to. Um, export or compete in the global market as a condition for receiving um, the backing of the state.
0: I wonder in reality, if it's easy to impose export conditions or to impose a deadline, the cost to build overseas market share may outweigh the benefits at that point in time. So how do you strike the right balance?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. What every successful East Asian economy thus far has been doing when they were developing, right? So we're talking about Japan, talking about Korea, talking about Taiwan, for example, let's take Korea, right? Instead of having one national car, in the beginning, they had or in which they eventually whittled them down, um, forced them to, to compete. Okay. And then what you left with is like the cream of the crop. Right? So now we have the Kia yeah. Hyundai hybrid that's hugely, hugely successful, right?
0: What could the Malaysian government be doing to attract more trade and foreign investments? And what sort of investments should it go for?
1: If you look at some of the business surveys asking foreign investors and foreign firms what concerns do they have in investing in Malaysia, you'll find that among the top responses currently are usually political uncertainty and policy uncertainty. I think there's a need for a common economic narrative, right, and a concrete long-term plan for the economic development of Malaysia, the release of the 12th Malaysia Plan and the Shared Prosperity Plans. But I think uh, in, in the policy brief, we highlight two more policy areas to focus on, uh, specifically on trade and foreign investment. And the first is uh, structural reforms to the regulatory environment. And the second is uh, deepening regional integration efforts.
0: So you've made the case for stronger regional integration, for example, the RCEP, uh, Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership. Could you tell us more about that? and, And really, how soon could we see something concrete?
1: When I talk about regional integration, it's not just RCEP. There's recent evidence that deepening regional integration and pursuing uh, regional trade agreements with non-U.S. regions can help to mitigate some of the negative effects of the trade conflict, deepening regional integration even within ASEAN, right, and uh, with ASEAN and its economic partners. For example, we can look at increasing trade linkages with countries with existing free trade agreements with the U.S. Also, the completion and ratification of the two major agreements uh, in the region, so the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, or CPTPP, and the RCEP that you mentioned earlier. So th- these are, are the two um, key, key areas to, to focus on. Concerning our RCEP and its outlook, I think it's, it's very, very tricky at the moment. You know, we've, we've just had uh, stalled negotiations in, in Bangkok recently. I think that uh, for now we could focus on how we can continue to ratify CPTPP. So that's something that we've already signed, but we've yet to ratify.
0: But there has been political pushback on the trans partnership agreements.
1: So politically, it's definitely one that is fraught, and it's something that um, policymakers and politicians should sort out. But uh, economically, you know, I'm not saying that um, this uh, CPTP trade agreement will be uh, the panacea to ev- every everything that we every problem that we have. But uh, I think it's the right way forward for us. Besides on uh, tariff elimination and trade facilitation, I think that the behind the border issues or the structural reforms that uh, CPTPP uh, will entail, such as uh, reforms to labour standards, uh, reforms to government procurement. I think these are all very, very positive things that um, will have a good impact on the Malaysian economy. For example, on labour standards, and this is something that we are already pursuing currently, is that um, we want to increase uh, the minimum standards of labour, right? minimum standards of work. We want to work towards a uh, fair and decent work. Um, and here we're talking about uh, minimum wages. You know, we're talking about worker protection.
0: So, key takeaway points from the U.S.-China trade war.
1: I think the key takeaway, and I'm referring here to to the analysis we did, is that um, in terms of uh, trade diversion, um, we shouldn't be so um, complacent or optimistic about the the potential for for trade diversion. And in fact, we should uh, take this opportunity to move forward with with reforms. Right, move forward with um, increasing regional integration.
0: Thank you for speaking with us. Kelvin Ching, researcher at the Economics, Trade and Regional Integration Division of the Institute of Strategic and International Studies, or ISIS. Next week, we will discuss prospects presented by China's regional projects, such as the Belt and Road Initiative, that could benefit Malaysian businesses. I'm Noel Lim on Spotlight for BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast.